turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 17 and read through verse 5 of chapter 3. Malachi 2, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of, his of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these words that you have given us in your Bible. We thank you that Dr. Norman this evening will preach on them. We pray that you will help us to understand them better and that you will give him clarity and wisdom in the words that he speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. In about six weeks, it will be Christmas. A few weeks before that, we'll have Bethlehem Alive. And many of you, we hope, will be involved in that. Rome and I will be in Florida by then enjoying sunshine, which we prefer. When you think ahead, to Christmas, what comes to mind? What kind of thoughts do you have? Do you reflect on that little baby boy born in that manger in Bethlehem? And do you continue to think of Jesus Christ as a little baby who has to grow up and has to be a boyhood and finally become a man? Do you 
maybe young people, especially your children, reflect more on what you might be getting for Christmas. Maybe you are already scanning the catalogs and the ads, thinking ahead to Black Friday. What can I possibly get for Christmas? Or what could I buy for somebody? It's all material, you know? Christmas is commercialism. Or maybe you get so fascinated by the lights and the Christmas trees and all that stuff, and you go up north and you cut down a beautiful six-foot pine and you put trees all around, I'm not trees, you put trinkets and lights all around you, you set it up in the corner, and you, and you sort of worship that Christmas tree. That's what Christmas is all about. Or maybe the lights are so captivating that you have to go over to Fifth Third Ballpark pretty quick at night and drive through all those lighted spots. Maybe some of you don't know about it. Sorry I told you. The prophet Malachi is a messianic prophet. He is prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ. But he gives us a very, very different kind of picture. He says to us in this passage, your Savior, your Lord is coming, but don't think of him as a helpless little baby. Think of him as a refiner's fire. Or think of him as fuller's soap. Because that's really what Christ is going to be like. Your Savior, your Lord is coming, and he's coming like a refiner's fire, and he's coming like fuller's soap. What? What do you mean, Malachi? What, what, what brings that kind of picture to mind? If you were here back on September 3, the last time I preached in this pulpit, the last time Pastor Bob was gone, uh, I preached from the first chapter of Malachi. And you might remember that the people in Jerusalem and Judea living at that time were complaining because God doesn't love us anymore. That was their complaint. They said, look, we are still living in slavery. This is 150 years after Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple is built, but that's all. The city of Jerusalem is empty. The walls are a mess. They're all torn down and covered with weeds. God doesn't love us anymore because he punishes us. And Malachi comes back in that first chapter and says, he punishes you because he loves you. If he didn't love you at all, he wouldn't punish you. He'd let you do what you want. Now we get to chapter 2 and 3, and we find these Jews back there in Jerusalem, the remnant who are living now in the Persian Empire, many of them in the towns and so of Judea, a smaller number living in Jerusalem. And now they come with a second complaint tied to the first one. God doesn't love us 
but he loves all the neighbors around. See, he doesn't punish all of these people who are neighbors. He doesn't punish the Samaritans. He doesn't punish the Ammonites. He doesn't punish the Moabites. They're all living peacefully. They're all blessed. Why, look at Tyre and Sidon. They're prosperous. Their industries are growing. See, God loves them, and he doesn't love us. Malachi says, wait a minute. That doesn't hold any water. And he's simply saying, I punished you because I loved you. The fact that I don't punish them is not a sign, it's not an indicator that I love them. It's that they're not my children. They are not my people. But then the Jews come with that third accusation against God. And they say, where is the God of justice? We want justice. Where is he? And Malachi says, he's come. You have angered God with your complaints. God is weary. He's sick and tired of the way you complain. He doesn't want to hear that anymore. And then Malachi comes there in chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger. Now that very first reference there is to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the messenger who's going to come and announce and prepare the way for Jesus Christ, the Lord. But Malachi says, he's coming to the temple, and he's coming soon, and you better be on guard, because he's coming like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now, in order to understand that fully, you have to look at the context. Malachi is not a lone wolf barking in the wilderness. Malachi is a prophet of God who is sent by God to the Israelites or to the Jews who are living in Jerusalem and Judea after they have come back from Persia and back from Babylon and once again are settled into God's promised land. In order to understand Malachi, you have to realize that these last three books of the Old Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, those three are really connected very directly with Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, in our Bibles, Ezra and Nehemiah come here after the, the books of Chronicles, and they're coming well before Psalms, and you say, are they really connected? Yes, they are, most directly. God sends Haggai and Zechariah to Jerusalem to encourage the people there to rebuild the temple. They have been intimidated by their neighbors. They have refused to get involved. And God says, Haggai and Zechariah, go there and spur them on. And they do. 
So the story of Ezra is that the temple is rebuilt. Malachi is now sent a little bit later, and he's sent there to the same place to assist Nehemiah in the governance of those people. And if you read through and study the book of Nehemiah, you will realize that these Jews, the remnant who have come back, and there are some 70,000 of those, their life has been sort of like this. They show real promise for a little while. When they first come back out of captivity, they are willing to do whatever God says. They are completely humble. They are just so desirous of doing exactly as God wants. But it doesn't take long, and different kinds of sins come creeping in. The book of Ezra is much about the sins of priests, Levites, and men marrying pagan women. And you'll read much of that in the last couple chapters of Ezra. Nehemiah confronts a whole range of sins. And I want to have you read with me for just a couple of minutes some of those complaints. If you have your Bibles open, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to start reading at verse 15. Nehemiah is a very godly governor. He's sent there by King Artaxerxes of Persia. And he's given all kinds of authority, all kinds of power. But he encounters all kinds of evil and wickedness. Read with me from Nehemiah 13, starting at verse 15. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. 
But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them, and beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. And I made them take oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons, or for yourselves. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Nehemiah, a righteous man, is very upset. He's very concerned about these evil practices. Sabbath desecration is rampant. It takes on all different kinds of forms. Of course, that's true in our day, too. You don't have to look far, and you see Sabbath desecration all around us. And sometimes it ought to grieve us. We ought to be deeply concerned. So God sends Malachi to Jerusalem to confront these people. And notice what he's saying. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now, Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. It's about 450 B.C. So there are going to be about 450 years before Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem. This is the last message that God sends to his Old Testament saints. You people in the Old Testament, you people living in Jerusalem and Judea, you are very wicked. You are practicing all kinds of sins. You ought to be scolded. And Malachi comes as a prosecuting attorney, saying, here are the sins that we have to confront. But the message also contains something interesting. He said, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant. What does Malachi mean when he talks about the messenger of the covenant? That can have two different kinds of meanings to it, both of which are appropriate. Covenant theology, if you look back through Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, you see there that God says, my covenant requires that you obey my laws. And if you don't obey, I will curse you. I'll send all kinds of curses into your life. If you obey my laws, I will bless you. That's one of the explanations for this phrase. But there's something else. Whenever you read about covenant theology, there is that promise that God makes and says, I 
am your God. I will always be your God, and you will always be my people. That's a tremendously comforting kind of notion. God says, I will never forsake you. You are always my people, even when you sin, when you disobey me, when you start selling everything you can think of on the Sabbath day, you're still my people. But then he comes, says, that's the good news. Now, your Lord is coming like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. We need to reflect on that. Uh, you may have gone through Gary, Indiana, may have gone through parts of Detroit where they had all kinds of refineries where they were refining iron ore and making it into steel and so tremendous amount of heat is involved. We had the privilege of going through a gold mine in the Black Hills of South Dakota some years ago and going to a refiner there where they bring in huge truckloads of dirt and rock and so and they push into these crushers and then not only crush it but they put it through tremendously hot fires thousands of degrees hot and these big rocks so end up being melted and then out of that there comes a whole bunch of dross which they throw aside but the gold and the silver come streaming out and screaming off that kind of picture malachi says you need to think of your lord as a refiner's fire you also need to think another illustration fuller's soap some of you may have grown up during depression eras like i did I remember yet my mom with a big old tub, wooden tub, full of hot steaming water and a big stick in it. We had lived on the farm. You'd get grease on your overalls. Sometimes you'd get manure in your clothes. Dirt of all sorts. You'd throw it in there. You couldn't put your hands in there because it was mixed with lye. If you put your hands in there, it would burn your hands. So you had to use a stick to stir it and then you'd pull them out. Those two images, Malachi is saying, that's the way you need to think of Jesus Christ. Say, Wait a minute. If I think of Jesus Christ that way, what kind of implications are there about me? If my Lord is a refiner's fire, am I a big chunk of dirt? In one sense, yes. In one sense, the implication is appropriate. We, in a real sense, are like dirt that needs to be refined. In another sense, we're like dirty clothes. We have to be scrubbed clean. And sometimes that scrubbing is kind of painful. And you say, Lord, am I really like a dirty overall? Or like a big piece of iron ore that needs to be refined? And say, yes. Yes, 
I am born in original sin. I don't become a sinner like a lot of churches preach. I don't become a sinner when I'm junior high. I am a sinner already in the womb. I am born with original sin. And I'm born also with total depravity. Every part of me, my mind, my will, my body, everything is affected by sin and no longer functions perfectly. There are churches that say, oh, no, you have free will. You don't have total depravity, you have partial depravity. Your mind, your will is not affected. You can decide to follow Jesus. That's heresy. Sorry, it's not in the scripture. We're born sinners. But those little babies, we've had so many baptisms here at Little Farms, sometimes I just wonder and say, there's so much theological language surrounding them. Maybe we're missing a picture. When I go over here and look, is it, oh, you know what that is? That's a wash basin. Those little babies have to be washed. They're dirty. And the mothers will say, no, 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 I washed them good. I cleaned them up real nice. I put their best. We are sinners by birth. We have to be washed. We have to be cleaned. And God is saying through Malachi that cleansing, that scrubbing, sometimes is a bit painful. He has to take us and shake us and bake us. And sometimes he sends trials and tribulations and difficulties into our lives so that we might be refined and purified and made ready for service. Now, the last C on my outline, the conclusion. I don't want to miss that. Because notice what Malachi is saying. God is going to send his son as a refiner's fire, as pure as uh, fuller's soap. But the outcome, the result of that, is amazing. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. I mentioned earlier that when those Jews, the remnant, came back from captivity, came to Jerusalem, that first group was just so completely committed to the service of God. They wanted to do everything exactly as God had asked. They were obedient to the nth degree. They loved God. They thanked him for his salvation. They thanked him for bringing them back. But it doesn't take long. And Samaritans come with all their lies, with all their falsehoods, with all their trickery. And the neighbors around come and say, oh, I have this beautiful daughter. And I noticed that you have a couple of handsome men there who are not married. Why don't you get acquainted? And of course, they 
succumb. They give in to those temptations. As Malachi says, or as, <coughs> as Nehemiah said in that passage that we read, half the children couldn't even speak Hebrew. They could only speak the language of Ashdod. For shame, God was being denied. God was being just treated so badly. And God says, I want you to follow my law. And I will then come. I'll come like a refiner's fire. I'll come like a wash lady. We're going to scrub you. And then you will become righteous. But there's one other thing we have to catch from this. <clears throat> when you read through the Old Testament, there are so many of these prophets who are prosecuting attorneys. They're pointing out all the evils and all the sins that were going on. When you get into the New Testament and you start reading the letters of Paul, you find that everyone, except for Galatians, is addressed to the saints. The saints who are in Ephesus, the saints who are in Philippi, the saints who are in Corinth, only with Galatians they're foolish. You've been bewitched. But every other place, God is saying through Paul, you are saints. All those sins that were counted against you are gone. They're washed away. You are now standing before me, righteous and holy. You are pleasing in my sight. Water is just the symbol. We know that. Water doesn't wash away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ does. You and I, by the grace of God, have been washed clean in the blood of his Son. Praise him. Thank him. And maybe reflect back on your life and see some of the ways that God has sanctified and purified yourself. I can do that. I'm sure you can too. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear God and Father, sometimes life seems difficult and troubling. We go through difficult times and sometimes we realize that you are directing our lives for our own good. You are bringing about sanctification. You are bringing about purification. And Lord, we need to see that. We need to remember that you are sovereign, that you love us because we belong to you. You sent your son to pay the price for our sins. And through his blood, we have been made righteous. We thank you for that and we praise you for that. And all God's people said, Amen.